we know of new methods of attack. Happy Easter. We, we weren't supposed to do this. <laughs> no, no, no. I've, I've sent my daughter out to, you know, get cigarettes at the store to, to find some time. Uh, to squeeze in a, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes, something like that. Is yeah, that I'm sure. I'm sure it's going to last just that long. Well, that's what uh, I told her. So, <laughs> yeah. But I've been, I've been lying to her since she was two. So it's fine. <laughs> She's used to it. Um, uh, yeah. It's, uh, it's, so it's Easter Sunday and we'd warned everyone yeah. that it, you know, normally it's the second Sunday we do, uh, uh, Zoom with everybody. Uh, yes. Thank God we didn't do it today because we couldn't do a Zoom with us for about yeah, 25 minutes yeah. here. Yeah, we've had some tech. I mean, this is always the case. This is why we always have to record together, particularly because the last episode we recorded together was great. Yeah. I, well, I thought so, or the people thought so. I got a lot of uh, positive emails. Uh, I, I, I think they just like the the threatened visuals and the alcoholism. Oh, dude, my I got a uh, text from my mother who was like, so I, he, so I Googled that Dick Cheney picture and I'm like, oh, for God's oh, sake. Oh, no. <laughs> Mom, stop listening. We told you. We love you, but no. <laughs> yeah, I got to put some sort of trigger warning on that for mom. But, uh, you know, it's, it's good that she's listening. Um, but, um, but yeah, we, we had a, a good one last night we were all together. And presumably we'll be doing more of that in the in the near future, but yep. uh, but yeah, we weren't supposed to record today. But because we love you people so much, we decided to do a kind of one topic uh, episode today. Because there's been a a, a thing that has overwhelmed uh, Twitter, and uh, and this is I see this as an observer, not a participant, as any of you who follow me on Twitter know. And it butted up against something we did the last second Sunday, in which we had. Um, Somebody asked a question about Nazi memorabilia. <laughs> that they was had, a two, two seconds yeah. ago, actually. That was, uh, that was, oh, that was our, two uh, ago. Fe- okay, it was two ago. February yeah. 1. But yeah, yes, yeah. the Nazi butter knives, the great Nazi butter knives gate. Uh, yes, which I will, I will uh, pop into the end of this um, episode because we'll release for, this for everybody as a sort of Easter treat um, and a small taste of what you would get if you were dumb enough to part with your money and give it to us. Uh, <laughs> then you would get all this extra stuff, including stuff about Nazi butter knives. But rather than this just be an issue uh, that is plaguing and befuddling our listeners, it is doing the same to people on Twitter. Matt, would you care to provide a little background uh, to the newest Nazi butter knife gate and how it uh, is uh, related to the Supreme Court? One way to to approach it um, is... uh, is is to introduce it by way of also introducing why the media around this and let alone the Twitter discourse among journalists around this has been so awful. Yeah. Um gonna read you a headline, uh gonna read you a couple of paragraphs to give you a taste. It is from a fun uh, recent uh, whipping boy in the journalism world for us. Um it, you know, a fun maybe it's a strong word, but uh, uh, Rolling Stone magazine uh, has, has yeah. made some pretty conscious, in my view, um, uh, decisions to get into the fan service of people's politics. Uh, when which, they're not uh, covering for pedophiles. Um, <laughs> Jesus. Uh, let's set that one aside. That's, uh, David Falkenflick told me that. I didn't. You I didn't. said yeah. one topic. Okay, so... Um, so Rolling Stone now does that same thing that the Daily Beast uh, uh, does, uh, that with a little like uh, uh, like two word uh, subhead headline above the headline because it was so about. great at the Daily Beast, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so the one up there, poor taste, 
that's the little thing there, right? Yeah, so this right. is to let you know yeah. uh, what their what you know the the content of the smirk. Here's the headline on a news story. Clarence Thomas's billionaire buddy has a vast collection of Hitler paintings, comma, Nazi memorabilia. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, stay with me. So we're already there. Okay. My God, that sounds very serious. Following the news of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas's unethical friendship with GOP mega donor Harlan Wait, Crow. unethical? The friendship is unethical? Yeah. Oh, uh, not the what he receives. Okay. I see. <laughs> Just the uh, with friendship G- itself. <laughs> GOP mega donor Harlan Crow. Uh, more details about the okay. I should slow it down. More mm. details about the Texas real estate mogul have emerged. Oh, comma yeah. that's yeah. You, the, well, the tells are, are coming fast yeah. and furious, including a report that Crow is an avid collector of Adolf Hitler items. Okay, so like, stop. <laughs> what do you think? What is this setting up to you? I mean, what as a, as a neutral reader encountering this for the first time? Yes. What do you think? You Har- think that Harlan Pepper or Harlan Crow is a, uh, a Nazi? That's what there's I'm, some that's what I'm there's some this. new news that a Nazi yes. fetishist, yes. the Lemmy Crow of mega super donor, yes. Lemmy uh, has Lemmy a very him. close black friend. It's <laughs> the new story. <laughs> it's a very close black friend, and boy, that's creepy. That would so maybe there might be a little Nazi connection. Okay, paragraph sure, two. Sure. The Washingtonian on Friday resurfaced. We love that verb. Yeah, yeah, it's called journalism. Yeah, yeah. Resurfaced a 2014 article by the Dallas Morning News, where a tour of Crow's Dallas area mansion revealed the billionaire's historical collection includes a startling amount of Nazi memorabilia, including a copy of Mein Kampf signed by the author himself, a pair of the failed artist turned dictator's cityscape paintings, Mm -hmm. Nazi medallions, swastika embossed linens, and more, period. We're on two paragraphs now. What do we think? We think the same thing as the beginning. Oh yeah. my God, we got a Nazi on our hands Nazi. here, let's, let's... and he's buddies with Clarence Thomas. And that maybe explains the Nazi thing about the Clarence Thomas that yeah, we've always yeah, kind yeah. of suspected. Yeah, who's America's uh, premier and number one black Nazi, but yes, go ahead. Uh, third paragraph, somehow less alarming but still strange, is the <laughs> Garden of Evil uh, in Crow's backyard, where statues of infamous despots like Romanian dictor, dictator Nicole Ceausescu, Yugoslav dictator Joseph Broz Tito, and Russia's Joseph Stalin and Vladimir Lenin reside, period. And then it goes on. So we're, There's also um, a Mao there, too, by the way. I don't know why it is less alarming when you uh, consider the 100-plus million death toll of the four or five people that were just named. <laughs> so the reason that this story exists, not the Rolling... Oh, yes, also the Rolling Stone story, but obviously Rolling Stone hasn't done anything original to the story. They've just talked about... Um, they've just put adjectives on it. They told you poor taste. They've decided that they're going to pull out the Hitler Nazi stuff in an entire garden full of artist art from um, despots. Um, and they're going to point to other people's journalism, including from kind of a long time ago. But the reason why any of this is being discussed... Mm-hmm. Is that on Friday of this week, um, a ProPublica, uh, which is specialized in unearthing uh, financial and other details about rich people that uh, is unflattering towards them, including their tax records, pretty famously, um, they published a piece that was 
a, a, a piece that did good journalism. Um, I will argue with plenty of the sort of adjectives and kind of uh, guilt by sure, association sure, yeah. phraseology in that journalism. But the journalism is that Clarence Thomas has been receiving free gifts from Harlan Crow in the in the form of uh, trips on his yacht, his super yacht. It's always a super yacht, uh, and he's always a mega donor. Um, and in his, uh, he's got a place up in the Adirondacks. Um, and they've gone on on trips together. And that uh, Thomas hasn't been disclosing those things for the last twenty years. Hang That's on, a- hang on, quickly, quickly. I don't yeah, yeah. know um, yeah. the ethics of this. I don't know the rules of this. I know there's been a rule change, and that tightened some of the um, ethics rules of people on the Supreme Court. Um, but. You know, he's been receiving free things and free trips on on the yacht from a friend. Do you have friends that have things that when they and you go on them, they charge you? No. I, I, I don't know. Like, is it a free trip on someone's yacht if they are your friend and you've been friends with them for a couple of decades or, you know, up in his uh, estate in wherever? It's like, again, I typically don't pay my friends when I go to their houses. So what you're saying is... Is actually it's correct what the uh, what the Daily Beast was or not Daily Beast the Daily Stone was uh, was bitching about is that it's an unethical friendship the friendship itself is unethical so yes. because otherwise I mean you can't I mean from the things that you've mentioned and again I have no opinion on this because I don't know what the the rules are and I don't um, think it's a bad thing in any way for ProPublica to actually um, surface these things um, that's fine I, it's perfectly good journalism to actually do so. Whether or not it's unethical, I don't know. But but it's very odd that there he's not he's not paying back his friend for going on his friend's boat. Will yes, we split the gas with him or something. So, um, <laughs> if, uh, to answer your question, about halfway down in the ProPublica article, um, uh, which I was reading earlier today, it said, uh, you know, this is the type of thing that would be illegal if Clarence Thomas was a congressman. You're supposed to report every yeah, yeah, uh, gift sure. of of more than fifty dollars and and yeah. so on and so forth. Um, and uh, but the Supreme Court doesn't have uh, very strenuous ethics uh, disclosure rules at all. They operate a pretty free for all zone. So it's but, but you, you know I, yeah. I, I not in, it's an interesting point. But I a question for you if you know this stuff because um, yeah. I know that you've done a lot of McCain Feingold stuff and are more interested in this stuff than I am is on kind of you know campaign donations ethics rules etc. When you're receiving gifts, you know. Someone's buying you a plane ticket somewhere. I get that. But if you're on somebody's boat or visiting somebody's house, is that actually illegal if you're a congressman too? I mean, it's an honest question. I don't know. Uh, I don't think so. Um, uh, I, I'm not uh, 100% sure. I don't think so. I think I think it's when it's an actual gift. It can be, you know, go on, on someone's plane. Um, I think uh, you is reportable as a member of Congress. I think so, but I, I could be wrong about that. Yeah, and look, I assume that ProPublica is saying that they know what they're talking about, so, but you, know, you um, never know. But ProPublica also was is doing maximal heavy breathing on this as well, saying like, um, you know, uh, a nearby luxury, nearby the place up in the Adirondacks where uh, Harlan Crow has his uh, compound, um, uh, is, uh, you know, you can stay at a former Vanderbilt place for $2,250 a night. Uh, and also the designer of the Adirondacks place um, is was designed by the same person who designed Mar-a-Lago. So we know that, uh, you know, uh, $2,250 a night is a lot, um, which doesn't 
pertain to the place that this guy's talking about. That's um, like that's I'll, like me giving you a ride somewhere, Matt, and then yeah. someone writing about it and saying, right next to Matt when he was getting that ride was an Uber. And that yeah. Uber would have charged $30 for the exact same ride. <laughs> I want to read you, because it also gets into some of this, uh, the Washingtonians piece, right? So the ProPublica piece comes out first. It causes a stir. The LA Times, among others, points out that, hey, look, we were doing this reporting 20 years ago. Here's our pieces. Um, it is interesting. Uh, yeah, for and sure, for sure. Thomas's response to it uh, has been less than satisfying, I would say, just sort of like, oh, I didn't realize that it needed to be reported or I, I reported as much as I thought I was supposed to, etc. Um, but Washingtonian comes in. And this is, again, the thing that Rolling Stone and everyone else is basing their headlines on Business Insider, Guardian, uh, headline after headline is basically mega donor, super yacht, yacht uh, Nazi. Um, yeah, all, yeah. all that. And that's it. So here's that that story. Uh, headline, Clarence Thomas's billionaire benefactor collects Hitler artifacts. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, Harlan Crow. Oh, sorry. Uh, when Republican mega donor Harlan Crow isn't lavishing Justice Clarence Thomas with free trips on his private plane and yacht in possible violation of Supreme Court ethics rules, comma. So they, they're linking to the thing that made this news to begin with. He lives a quiet life in Dallas among this is Harlan Crow among his historical collections. These collections include Hitler artifacts. Two of his paintings of European cityscapes, a signed copy of Mein Kampf, and a sort of Nazi memorabilia, plus a garden full of statues of the 20th century's worst despots. Uh, Crow, the billionaire heir to a real estate fortune, has said that he's filled his property with these mementos because he hates communism and fascism, right? So, like, mm -hmm. it's, that little has said is kind of interesting. Nevertheless, his collection caused an uproar back in 2015 when Marco Rubio attended a fundraiser at Crow's house on the eve of Yom Kippur. Rubio's critics thought his timing was inappropriate given, comma, you know, comma, the Hitler stuff. This is journalism. No, it's not. It's not. This it is, is presented this is as journalism, journalism by the Washingtonian Magazine. Washingtonian Magazine, um, uh, no, I was confusing it with Washington Monthly for a second, but it is, you know, it's supposed to be doing, out there doing good journalism inappropriate given comma you know comma the hitler stuff all right I, I should pause here to say the reason that we're reacting to this the reason why people are noticing this is largely because of twitter right yes you have the original pro public story that caused a little uh you know a thing of interest but the reaction of people on twitter by journalists and by historians and michael's going to introduce us to kevin cruz here in a moment yeah. um uh has been to say uh basically like uh i'm not saying i'm just saying type of commentary right yeah. this is like the journalists and saying look look uh i wouldn't have a nazi collection so you know yes uh, that's that, exactly right yeah this is the this is what is passing for journalism about things linking to uh finding a bit of outrage from an article in 2014 and i should read the the final paragraph that i'll uh, say from the washingtonian here right I, there's a quote. I still can't get over the collection of Nazi memorabilia, unquote, says one person who attended an event at Crow's home a few years ago and asked to remain anonymous. <laughs> further, further quote, it would have been helpful to have someone explain the significance of all the items. Without that context, you just sort of you sort of just gasp when you walk into the room. End quote. So we have an anonymous person. Um, uh, in uh, saying that they felt and they really wish that there was more explanation and it made him feel kind of momentarily uncomfortable back, uh, in whatever year that they did this. This is a news cycle in news outlets and is being trumped up by people on Twitter 
and also thrown back into the face of Crow's defenders who have been there and who know Crow and who know how much he hates Hitler, for example. Jonah Goldberg and David French, to mention two people who've been on our podcast yes, before, yes. have said, like, Jesus Christ, people, you're cherry picking and this is awful. And everyone's like, ha ha ha. I don't put up Nazi memorabilia. Fascist. Um, tell us about Kevin Cruz, would you? Uh, well, Kevin Cruz, it's interesting because he's a historian at Princeton and one would imagine that, you know, attacking somebody's character and trying to destroy them on such flimsy evidence would be something to be a little careful of considering he was just accused of plagiarism and, um, went off Twitter for a number of months because, uh, he was being investigated by Cornell where he did his PhD and uh, Princeton, where he currently works. But um, Kevin Cruz obviously gets back on Twitter and I, I think he's less of a historian these days. Maybe he's doing, you know, uh, historical research that I'm not aware of, very, very likely that he is. But I just know him because he's on Twitter all the time, you know, being one of these annoying people on Twitter that are on Twitter way too much. I mean, I would recommend that Kevin Cruz take a few days off. Um, he, I mean, he did take, what, four or five months off when he was accused of, credibly accused of plagiarism, and it doesn't seem to have had any effect on him. What his Twitter feed is pretty interesting now because it's, it's um, you know, a lot of, it's just every, you know, let me go through this. It's, uh, you know, Jamel Bowie, uh, uh, you know, uh, what, what's his name? Uh, Judd Apatow. Uh, who's who's hilarious jokes is um uh, is responding to Jonah Goldberg retreated by Kevin Cruz. Yeah, we all do that, which is the collection of of 20th century um historical artifacts. My serial killer's uh statue garden serves the same purpose, which is to commemorate. Uh was what Jonah said. Sometimes I go out there and sit with Bundy and Manson and think about how killing people is bad. It's a helpful reminder. I suppose that's supposed to be funny. I'm not sure that Kevin Cruz retweeted that. Yeah, Kevin Cruz retweeted that. Like a like a sarcastic. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, 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 a historian. What is a historian's job, generally speaking, Michael? I mean, if you had to distill it, well, a historian's job in this case, by the way, he he does say something, and I'm trying to find this tweet. You sent it. Uh, if you have it handy, um, he he does he he says. Um, that he, as a historian, well, let, let's go to this one, David M. Perry, who's a historian. Uh, the, reason, the reason it's worth dunking on the GOP billionaire's Hitler fetish is that most folks in the U.S. still think Nazis were the baddies. Uh, of course, it, it's implying that he doesn't. Yeah. Whereas, whereas most folks are totes okay, because that's, that's cute and supposed to be funny, uh, with the corruption of him owning a Supreme Court judge, or at least knowing nothing will change. So beyond the incoherence of that, I mean, owning, I mean, he's friends with the guy. Presumably, they have similar politics because Clarence Thomas has been a pretty vocal conservative his entire life. Apparently, um, uh, Harlan Crow has been too. And I have to be totally frank, I had never heard of Harlan Crow prior not to- Not even once. Not even not once. Even I once. mean, I'm not in that world and I don't get- uh, I don't get nice uh, 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 trips on rich people's yachts. Uh, I mean, sometimes, <laughs> but not not anybody that's in the in the uh, politics world. Um, let's see. Uh, there, oh wait, there's so much. But do you have that one that you sent? Yeah, sent to the David Perry one, right? Uh, which again. You know, it's worth dunking on the on the billionaire fetish because people aren't really uh, basically reacting strongly enough to the ProPublica thing. Um, and there's no evidence that he has a fetish. 
I lo- this is my favorite. The communist stuff is out in his garden of evil of things he doesn't like. Well, he, this is from Kevin Cruz. Well, he's got Hitler's paintings, Mein Kampf and Nazi memorabilia inside the house. Do, yeah. I'm sorry. Do you want to put the paintings in the garden? <laughs> Again, and then someone says, uh, somebody who has the tag Black Lives Matter, uh, Lee Mullen, Black Lives Matter, says, guess the Nazis didn't qualify as, uh, qualify as garden of evil level bad. Kevin Cruz responds, this is a good point. No. I, no, no, it's not. I, this is so weird. If you're calling attention to the fact that Harlan Clo has a Garden of Evil filled communist statues while keeping his Nazi stuff somewhere separate, well, maybe think that through a bit more. First of all, there weren't uh, statues of Hitler. These were not common. There were statues of Stalin, very common. Statues of Ceausescu, very common. There were not, it uh, wasn't common uh, uh, across Nazi Germany. Kevin Cruz, um, as a historian, maybe would know this, that there weren't Hitler statues with him thrusting his fist up into the sky. The thing that Cruz says, I don't know if you found that. Um, yeah. Did you find it? No, no, no. Uh, he, ha- he tweets and says, you know, I have been doing this as a historian for so many years, and I have never had the desire of all the bad people that I have covered to get things or own things related to their evil. Um, now, let's think about that for one second. Kevin Cruz's argument is, you should be me. Your, yeah. in, your interests should be mine. I don't collect things, therefore you should not either. Yes. I've, I've, it's a very, very odd thing. The, the idea that we're de- he's devaluing Nazism or even elevating it by privately owning a number of things. Why do people own stuff like this? Yesterday, I sent you a picture of this, Matt. Uh, yesterday, I just received a new uh, poster that I bought. Yeah. Which is a Chinese communist poster from 1951, uh, an anti-American poster supporting uh, the North Koreans. Uh, it's a pretty good poster. It's, and I, I'd never seen it before. And I have these in my house. In my dining room, I have a, a, a bust of Mao, like an actual 1970s bust of Mao. Is I, that because you have a fetish for the Cultural Revolution and think that um, the Little Red Book is great and yes. that you should murder 80 million people? Of course. You know, this, I, this is the most dishonest point scoring. Imagine the the brain of the historian here, right? The historian, one would presume, looks at evidence in 95 different ways, aggregates it, just sort of entertains counter evidence, et cetera, and then writes what they believe is true about historical event or historical fact. Or you could say, I know this one data point, and so I'm going to go on a Twitter rampage accusing a man of being a Nazi because he collects things. And he, he does he collect Nazi memorabilia? Yes. Do people some sometimes play the Nazi side in a video game when given the option? Yes. Why would you do such a thing? Thinking of the Holocaust and thinking of everything that the Nazis did that, that was horrible. Why would you ever inhabit that role? There's World War II reenactors. Somebody has to play the Nazis. If you were playing the Nazis, actually, this happened with um, a congressional candidate who was photographed dressed in a Wehrmacht uniform because he was a historical reenactor. You know, sometimes people do that with the Civil War and they, uh, they're Johnny Reb. They're uh, the Greys and not the Blues. Is that because they're people who love slavery? I mean, this is a, such a simple way of thinking that I understand why people collect things because I myself collect historical artifacts. All different types, all sorts of weird things. I, you know, I have Gaddafi watches, Saddam Hussein. <laughs> I, mean, I have every weird thing. Why do I like that? Well, I, I mean, should I leave it to Kevin Cruz to tell me why I do and why I don't? Why is it okay to have the bad commie stuff, but not the bad Nazi stuff? Let's, uh, I don't know, let's turn around. What do I have here? It's uh, 
It's an album de la Revoluciana, Revolution Cubana, yeah. 1952. Now, it's, a, it's a children's graphic novel kind of thing on sort of wax paper with like uh, baseball card looking things um, talking about um, a very uh, uh, obviously accurate uh, view of the revolution uh, glorifying uh, Fidel Castro. I bought it, I think, for like 10 bucks, which is, you know, monthly salary or used to be in uh, Havana. I bought it uh, for my daughter because it looks really cool. Yeah. And it's it's weird. It's the kind of thing you can't really get. This uh, in, in Central Europe, where I lived in the 90s, this is what you people would do often. There's a great store in Budapest, Hungary, in the which is now the favorite place to go to for deep thinkers on the right uh, in America. Um, but there was a store that uh, basically sold these great old commie era posters. Uh, there was some great graphic art in Poland, especially, but also in Hungary, uh, to a lesser extent, uh, Czechoslovakia. Um, yeah. And you knew that this stuff wasn't going to last longer. Think about if you, if any of you out there listening, and I know some of you have, have traveled through that region, they probably still have, although my God, did they have a ton of it back in 1991, two, three, four, five. There was always somebody wearing uh, a Russian army babushka head thing sure. um, and, and just selling red army paraphernalia. Yeah. Um, and it, that was like a, a like uh, that an absolutely important uh, source of revenue dollars for whoever was receiving it. Why would people buy those things? Because you could. And the Red Army was going away. Red Army is bad, right? Communism super bad. I, I mean, um, being surrounded by this stuff, uh, the idea that somehow it it you know connotes approval of. I mean, I like the the. I mean, uh, first of all, let's just say this. The psychology, actually look this up, it's pretty interesting stuff. The psychology of collecting. There's a lot of academic research on this stuff, why people collect. Um, and a huge percentage of people do. I think it's like 30, 40% of Americans say they collect one thing or another. I mean, there are people who collect toothbrushes. Uh, honestly, they collect toothbrushes. And I'm sure Kevin Cruz could sit around and tweet for three days trying to, um, you know, kind of deconstruct the psychology of why somebody would collect a toothbrush. But that implies so much more thought than goes into this. This is absolutely outrage archaeology. And it's the opposite of what historians and journalists and serious people should do. It's oppo research as public discourse. Mm -hmm. I found the one thing that I know I can just put in a very short uh, 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 formulation on Twitter, which is a short published thing, um, and say, I'm not just saying, I'm not saying, I'm just saying, um, and then it'll take life of its own, right? Jane Meyer, for example, uh, a journalist for The New Yorker, who's written a lot about the Supreme Court and has given certain theories a lot of play over the years, and I think has done a lot of disreputable work. I will say and that she wrote, out a, loud. she wrote a shoddy book, um, with the um, plagiarist Jill Abramson on, on um, Clarence Thomas. Yes, and also uh, wrote some of the most credulous reporting about Brett Kavanaugh's uh, accusers that uh, um, w didn't really survive attention. And her attack on the Koch brothers also uh, was just really, very, uh, very political, uh, super political. Yeah. So this is what Jay Meyer, right? Reporter, a multi-award winner, has a ton of respect. Um, she links to the Washingtonian piece that I read earlier, and this is what her reaction to it. Hmm. Clarence Thomas's billionaire benefactor collects Hitler artifacts mm -hmm. and just throws it on Twitter. You find the one thing. They found it. They found the one thing, a 2014 article um, that's been resurfaced. And you can put Clarence Thomas and the mega donor and Hitler 
in a one sentence headline. He also, um, by the way, he also collects like American history artifacts, like you know, yeah. original documents and things like that. And having to explain yourself as to why you do that, I think is is pretty interesting. Like, uh, you know, why people collect is a hard thing to to like. Why is my house kind of cheek to jowl with commie posters and you know? I used to have these LBJ ones, which I've I've gotten rid of over the years because I replaced I didn't have enough space, but replaced them with Nixon ones. And but that doesn't mean I like Nixon more than LBJ. And then I I have these Clinton things. Like it's I have so much of this stuff. Why, when you love history, Kevin Cruz is like he's a historian. He has never struck him. So therefore, those who do must have some sort of malevolent intent. But why do I do this? I'm not entirely sure. I could probably guess. Um, but it's just, I, I enjoy the collecting of these artifacts from a time in which, why do I read novels from those times? I mean, I'm, I'm interested in reading, I mean, 95% of the novels that I read in a given period of time, like a summer or something will be Russian novels from the forties and fifties, for instance. Be, I mean, I'm, that kind of recreation in your head is important when you're interested in these in these eras and these ideologies. Um, this when you're saying, hmm, interested in Hitler, when there's four hundred thousand artifacts from other areas of modern history, you know, not so modern history. I'll give you an example of something that I, a person I can't name, uh, a person who's amazingly famous um, in the world of business, um, uh, hugely wealthy. Um, Big funder of Jewish causes, uh, has you know is Jewish himself, and not it's it's nobody that you think it would be. By the way, like that's kind of you know inhabits our universe. Uh, it's a friend of a friend. He has a, a collection of uh, tanks. I mean, he's very very rich, um, including inc including Panzers, uh, German Panzers, um, and they exist. That's kinky shit. Man. They exist in Long Island. <laughs> Um, German Panzers, which I presume he he sourced somewhere in in in, in Germany and Europe, and had uh, shipped to his estate. Um, he has apparently lots of other stuff too. He's Ju he's a Jewish guy. This is um, very common. I found um, I remembered an article from that I read in the nineties, and I actually found it. I'm going to read you a selection from this. This is um, New York Times Magazine writing about people who collect Nazi memorabilia. Um, there's a quote, this guy owns a store owned, this is in the early nineties in the upper West side. Um, quite honestly, most of my collectors happen to be Jewish says Newman, who is Jewish himself, but he says he's not rattled by combat combative questions about why he sells what he does. It's my business. It's merchandise. answers. I say, if you find it offensive, I advise you to purchase it, uh, to purchase, wait, if you find it offensive, I'd advise you to purchase it. I'll supply the matches and you can take it into the bathroom and burn it. Um, this is, this was of course not uncommon. And I knew, I know lots of people who collect stuff. Um, many of whom are Jewish and do collect stuff from the second world war. Um, I'll give you one example of somebody that I met a long time ago who was Jewish, who had stuff that I just, I, I, everybody has their limits, right? Stuff I wouldn't have want to have in my house. Um, was like yellow yellow uh, armbands that say Yuda on yeah. them. I don't yep, want that. Like, nope. th they, like that kind of stuff. It's the number of black people that um, collect 
racist memorabilia is enormous. This like just look this up. There's a ton of stories about people who collect like old mammy stuff, etc. The motivation for these things are complicated. And a lot of it is historical memory and kind of being steeped in it, being around it is to kind of always remember it. And to understand, by the way, that that when you see these images on your wall, I mean, I have a lot of Mao stuff. And I, I think the graphic design is absolutely phenomenal and beautiful. And I'm not worried about saying that, despite the 60 plus million death toll of Maoism, probably higher. When you include the Great Leap Forward and the Cultural Revolution, a lot of dead people. Um, but it also serves as a pretty interesting reminder as to how successful these people were as branders and marketers. I'm totally fascinated. If I know a fair amount about the Third Reich, why am I interested in that? Because I'm a Nazi? No, please, God, no. I mean, this is the stuff, these are the people that I hate. It's funny because, like, you know, I've always been accused of being, you know, the, the, the most Jewish uh, Gentile in uh, modern American history. Uh, which, you know, I used to joke that I was, when I lived in Fort Greene, that I was the Raoul Wallenberg of Fort Greene. I was, <laughs> I was the Oscar Schindler of Brooklyn. Um, but when you, you become obsessed with this stuff and the success of it, um, I wrote my, my um, senior thesis in college on Daniel Goldhagen's book, Hitler's Willing Executioners, because I was fascinated with this idea of how people become that evil. I have, I've seen so many Nazi entertainment films that it's like kind of, I think people are like, what? How do you, it's like, I'm interested in that time period. I'm very, very interested in that time period. It goes back to my grandfather, my grandfather's experience in North Africa, my grandfather's experience in the invasion of, of, of Sicily uh, and Monte Cassino and all this stuff that, that is fascinates me. That is the root of my interest. And it, it branched out from there. But having all of these films, for instance, which are very, very hard to find, and I ultimately want to write something about this in a larger sense about propaganda, and that's why I think Jason Stanley's book on it's so unbelievably bad. It's somebody who just has no kind of familiarity with a lot of the source material. It's very hard to get. You know, it's very, very hard to find and very, very hard to get. Um, they're not, they're, most of them aren't subtitled, et cetera. But, you know, Nazi Germany was an interesting place because we think of the Lenny Riefenstahl, Triumph of the Will. They basically didn't make many propaganda films. There's some fa very famous ones, Yud Suze, Eviga Yuda, these like anti-Semitic ones, but they did very few of them. There's about four or five, I would say three distinctly anti-Semitic films, um, and then a few that kind of have anti-Semitic themes in them, but most of them were entertainment. And I'm totally fascinated by this idea of the propaganda ministry and Ger Joseph Goebbels, which was not like, oh, tell a lie a million times and people will believe it. This is what dumb people think about Nazi Germany. But when you actually look at this stuff, the idea was to never draw attention to things. It was to, you know, overwhelm people with entertainment in propaganda. That was the type of propaganda, was entertainment. You know, Der Sturmer, the, the anti-Semitic uh, newspaper, wasn't terribly popular with certain people in, in Nazi Germany because it was pornographically anti-Semitic and, like, just very crude and rude and always talking about rape and horrible, horrible things. It was like, no, no, let's get away from that. We want to have the strong-jawed man on the posters we want to have the, the sort of Aryan family, which, by the way, you cannot find much um, uh, sunlight between Nazi posters and Soviet posters in that matter. Like the, the, the big muscular lantern jawed, it was an East German thing right after 1945. This stuff interests me. If a bunch of trolls who masquerade as historians wanted to get together on Twitter and psychoanalyze me, not actually, not even that. That would be that would be fairly interesting. Um, 
because they wouldn't know anything about me. It'd be, just be a fruitless cause. But instead, just say, well, he's clearly a Nazi. He's clearly a Stalinist. He's clearly, you know, a Khmer Rouge fan because of the weird pro, uh, you know, democratic Campuchia books that I have. I, I do have a pile of those, by the way. I always, I love crazy books by people who make excuses for regimes. Um, I once was writing something and I bought um, a book online that, uh, actually, I just bought another one. This is an interesting one. I bought one uh, the other day, about four or five months ago. I think I sent you the cover, which was a Nazi era book in German about um, the slave trade and attacking, which I think is totally fascinating, attacking um, England in the U.S. for slavery. I mean, it, this, it makes no sense, right? But trying to read that stuff and say like, okay, so what? how are people who are systematically enslaving Europe and the people they are not enslaving, they are murdering, are writing books or having these faux academics write books about the horrors of the slave trade in the UK? Um, this book is particularly about the UK. I mean, it's bizarre. I mean, like, I want, those, those books aren't available online. They don't exist anywhere. I find a reference to them somewhere when I'm reading something. This is what historians do. Am I a historian? Not professionally, no. Um, do I try to pretend I am one sometimes? Sure. I don't go around pretending that I am in a way that I have a business card or I ever identify myself as such because I'm not. But I like that. I, 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 but it seems to me that I have a better sense of what, what, a histor what it takes to be a historian than Kevin Cruz. And I get that in his time of being a historian... Kevin Cruz was never struck by the feeling that he should buy artifacts. Well, I know a couple of historians, um, one who I think just passed away, who had such a collection that their house could be a museum. I mean, it's, it's uh, to each his own. But to say that that should be the standard, well, no, you're just trying to call somebody a Nazi. Because, because, he, because, not he, because he has a black friend. <laughs> and 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 doing it in such a way that actually doesn't require any any other work. You have found the one thing. I mean, you found the one thing someone else said. You found a headline someone else wrote. Um, the association is therefore propagated, and you like you're done. Your work here is done, sir. Um, if Harlan Crow, who even though Michael and I are unfamiliar with him, that's just because we ignorant. Um, but uh, if he was an actual Nazi, or if he had some ideas that were pretty fascistic, chances are they might also be resurfaced um, yes. considering that the a guy has given money to the Hoover Institute, the Federalist Society, the American Enterprise Institute, I presume the Manhattan Institute, I forget. Um, but basically standard, um, you know, uh, uh, conservative ink type of institutions over the years. Um, there has been certainly oppo research done um, pointed at him in the past. Um, and there would be some other evidence besides the fact that um, some Hitler stuff, some Nazi Germany stuff is included in his pretty large and I'm sure totally weird collection of authoritarian art, mm -hmm. um, which he has pointed out. Or artifacts, too. I mean, he has, artifacts. you know, yes. um, napkins. That were, I mean, by the way, it's not like you want napkins, by the way, that have, the, you know. Adolf Hitler's uh, initials on them, they're embossed. I mean, the interesting thing about those is apparently they were uh, taken from Berchtesgaden when the, when the um, Allies overran the Eagle's Nest. 
I mean, that's a pretty fascinating thing if you're interested in, in artifacts. Why do people collect anything? Go into eBay. I mean, if, if you were to be saddled with this, you know, you have some sort of psychological disorder for collecting. I mean, half the things on eBay would have to be t- taken away. But I, I also find it strange that a historian could could make these enormous sweeping generalizations about somebody uh, based on one or two data points. Did he call him? Did he try to have a conversation with him? Well, why do you do this? Because I'm interested in it. That's a question you ask somebody, right? You ask them why they are interested in such a thing. And you might get an interesting answer, but they don't want answers. I mean, they're not interested in any answers because the the thing with them is if you are um, a right winger, and again, I know nothing about this guy, but from what you said, and from other people said, he seems to be like a big conservative benefactor. All right, fine, there's a lot of those. But is the idea that if you are a right winger and you collect you know, memorabilia of World War II related, and if you also include Nazis or Italians or whatever in there, um, then that just default means you're a Nazi. I mean, that, that seems to be what we're getting. Because he's a conservative and he does collect this stuff, that he must therefore be a Nazi because that collection could include Japanese things, German things, I mean, I mean sorry, French things, British things, American things, but the German stuff pushes it over the edge. And it's in, in, in quote unquote, poor taste. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, that's, I taste is, is a subjective thing. <laughs> so I would, uh, I would add in the poor taste category or in the, um, I'm going to level a blanket accusation of poor taste uh, on someone's art collection who, that I have not seen based on reporting that other people did, um, that had, uh, really mildly perturbed anonymous quotes from people from several years ago. Yeah. Um, um, look up the, uh, a character named Adam Parfrey and the book publishing house Feral House. Oh, yeah. Adam Parfrey was this character in L.A. who we knew died, uh, sadly, uh, about five years ago. Um, uh, early, like, high school boyfriend of Kathy Sipes, strangely enough. Adam was a weird cat. And Feral House specialized in publishing things that were in the corners and margins of society for a variety of different reasons. And maybe like polite society shouldn't go there. And we best just sort of like quietly forget that. Adam would go, awesome, I'm publishing that. So we held a a book party for him at the LA Press Club that actually turned out to be somewhat uh, controversial back when Manuel uh, Richard, uh, my wife, uh, and Kathy Sipe and Amy Alcon would throw these book parties whenever people were uh, coming through town or from town um, and had a new thing out. And he had a new book out called either It's a Man's World or It's a Man's Man's World. I forget which. And it was a graphic art kind of almost coffee table collection of post-war um, pulp like magazine art for men um, and which is just filled with lurid anti-Nazi, um, totally weird, sexually messed up, uh, always animals like coming in that needed to be like throttled or kind of screwed or something. It was just a really weird um, and 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 graphically very interesting. If anyone follows like the Pulp Librarian on Twitter, which I uh, highly recommend, great account. It's the kind of stuff that he gets into. It tends to be a little bit more high toned, slightly than what Anna Parfrey was going for. Um, Really interesting stuff that um, if you are interested in the world and and particularly free speech and and all these lines where they kind of go a little bit 
um, strange, um, really fascinating. I remember uh, at the end of that night, I believe it was that night, um, we end up at Adam Parfi's house. He had one of those uh, Hobbit bungalows in the Hollywood Hills in Silver Lake. Um, and uh, he had this gigantic living room. Um, you'd walk in, it was sort of a, uh, it looked like a ski lodge type of like huge living room. And at the, uh, uh, the, the head of one side of it, um, just lavishly lit up by candlelight was the most enormous and beautiful oil painting of Chairman Mao I have ever seen in my life. And it, I mean, it must have cost thousands of dollars or he stole, I don't know how, but like it dominated the room. Man, what a weird room it is to be there. And was Adam Parfrey a Maoist? He was weird. He was certainly weird, but also very much not a Maoist. He was someone who wanted you to, and wanted to see you have the experience of walking to his living room and going, oh, that's weird. Um, and the explorations of that weirdness, examinations of what art does to us and reactions to it and what is considered to be taboo and not, you're going to get some weird people on those margins. Um, and also, I will say, without naming names, that I know at least one person, maybe even two or three, um, who have been at that man's house and saw that and clearly did not um, uh, uh, experience that in a negative cherry picking. He must be a Nazi or a Maoist type of way um, who have been gleefully adding on to the Harlan Crow thing because they don't like his politics. I, I, yeah. And, I wonder what people think of Larry Gagosian, the very famous art collector and, and dealer uh, who set the record of $190 million, which I presumed he bought for, for one of his clients um, of buying a Andy Warhol Mao. Um, the, it, it's like the, that has been, that is something over time that has been detached from the actual monster and owned by Andy Warhol. That's an Andy Warhol image. You don't even see Mao as a historical yeah. figure or as a murderer. When you see that, you see a Warhol, which is a great one, sort of neutering of Mao in a way, or you could make the argument that it allows people to forget. Um, it allows people to kind of commodify and commercialize Mao and not remember all of the horrible things that he did. One of the things that I would recommend people check out, I once have mentioned, I once mentioned this on the show a long time ago, is the genre of Stalags, Stalag fiction. It was an Israeli thing right after the war. Um, pretty impressive that it was right after the war. And they were pulp novels um, set in concentration camps. And they were very, very highly sexualized porn books um, that were set in concentration camps. Very, very common all over Israel. There's, there's actually a documentary about it. And I had to look up the name of it. Um, and it is, in fact, called Stalags. But uh, the guy who directed it, and it's, you know, they're literally books about um, rapes uh, in concentration camps. I mean, it's very strange that this became such a, um, I just had to look up some of the uh, adolescent boys, uh, often the children of Holocaust survivors, bought books called with titles like, I was Colonel Schultz's private bitch. Oh God. Um, the guy who made the film said the Holocaust pictures that I saw as one who grew up here in Israel were of naked women, uh, which is cause they were on, you know, all the, the, um, uh, newsstands, you could buy them in newsstands. I mean, uh, the weird kind of interactions people have with Nazi iconography is not, it doesn't necessarily mean people are Nazis. 
but how bizarre is I don't want to condemn people who made those books or people who bought those books. There's something deeply psychologically odd um, and interesting about it that I'll leave for somebody else to decipher. But if I don't want to like just say those people cannot interact in society or I cannot be friends with them or ever have a conversation with them because of the image. I mean, they're doing this in Israel. The people in Israel at the time were exclusively, almost exclusively, except for the people that were there beforehand. Um, and there was a, a significant population there too. But a huge percentage were Holocaust survivors. And that's just out in the open. That's an out in the open sexual fetishization of mass murder and genocide. I mean, how bizarre is that? It's bizarre enough that you make a documentary about it, but I would rather somebody make a thoughtful documentary about it and talk to the people who created them and the people who consumed them rather than having some, you know, two-bit, uh, angry, uh, politicized Twitter historian just saying, you must be a Nazi. You are a Nazi. If you have this stuff, therefore, it means that the only two people that we're talking about who know him, that as far as I can tell, are a black Supreme Court justice and a Jewish guy named Goldberg, who are his friends. And, and David French. And David French, uh, you know, yeah. who everybody uh, on the right thinks he's a namby-pamby. Um, uh, yeah. To go to one one example that goes the other direction, in case we've pissed off uh, too many uh, people who are left of center and who kind of agree with the criticism here, the right does a version of this too uh, every two years is when they rediscover, is it the Lenin statue in Seattle? Yes. Um, um, which is like a really big, like 25 foot Lenin statue. But that's a public thing though, isn't it? it? It's a public thing, but it was bought by a private guy who didn't like communism and he wanted to bring it here. A lot of people, uh, and this is one, another reason that Michael was alluding to before, that we see a lot of the commie stuff is that, yes, there wasn't as much iconography about uh, Hitler uh, himself compared to Soviets, but also you could go and get uh, some of these things before they were all destroyed in the yeah. early 90s. Uh, there's a great uh, And just to be clear, in, by the way, there's a lot of Hitler iconography, but just not statues. Around Nazi Germany, there wasn't. You would have busts. Busts were pretty common. I have an office buildings and such, but big statues in the Saddam Hussein way were, were, were pretty uncommon. There's a great park, I've mentioned at least once before, but if uh, you're going to be one of those natcons who goes to Budapest or just a normal person, because Budapest is pretty awesome to visit, um, go to the outskirts. There's a place called Sobor Park, Statue Park, where they kept all the 35-foot statues of everything. And you walk in and they're playing the Internationale, and they it is not supposed to be a celebration of Soviet uh, communism, which was never really popular in Hungary to begin with, uh, for a lot of reasons, um, and wasn't really practiced that much in Hungary much after 1956. Um, uh, they wanted to preserve this so people kind of had a sense of the flavor of the massiveness of these propaganda techniques. So the the Lenin statue, similar story, and the guy put it in front of his cafe, and I'm going to mangle more details beyond sure. that. But it's it's rediscovered every couple of years by people on the right who are like, my God, Seattle just shaking my damn head yet again at you people. And oh, that you're commies. I get, I get that. Yeah, yeah. yeah and it's yeah. and it's not. It was brought there it, it on purpose by an anti 
commie uh, for reasons that are the opposite of its original intent. Um, you know, and that goes also towards the slipperiness of authorial intent and, and art in public spaces as well. But uh, we just get into a weird position when we assume that our own tastes and collecting habits are the same as others. We're going to tack on to the end of this uh, episode a conversation we had in one of our monthly uh, Zoom uh, episodes with uh, paying customers where uh, the uh, the wife uh, who's a collector found some Nazi butter knives and the husband who's really, really awesome, like just towards the because he's participating too, is just like, I want them out of the yeah, house. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. But look, look, that's <laughs> like, totally, totally, I under, totally understand well, that. I don't want a Nazi knife Yeah, in yeah, my no, house. I completely I mean, get that. I want that. one in Moynihan's house no, no, that I can go I visit. I don't, there's no, there's a lot of book spines that have swastikas, but nothing else. But I, that's true. There's nothing else. Um, I was gifted uh, um, a few things 25 years ago. Um, and those things that come from veterans that get into your hands and I pass them on ultimately. Um, but yeah, cause I, I just, I, me personally, I don't want that stuff, but I don't pretend to understand other people's motivations or pretend to even care about them. You know, people who really want to, um, associate themselves in their own ideology with bad people tend to get tattoos of them. I saw a guy, and the funniest one was I was at a beach in Miami, and I saw a guy with a, with a Che tattoo on his shoulder. And I was like, dude just came here from, like, Oakland. He's, he better put his shirt on when he goes 15 yeah. feet off of that beach. He's going he's gonna to get his ass beat. But, you know, like, you know, or you don't know what you're talking about. You have a Che and a Mao tattoo, like Mike Tyson, who just, I don't think, really has any idea. He got those when he was in, I think, the Mao when he got when he was in prison. But, you know, that, to... I just don't understand that that would be a way of projecting your, you know, inner fascism would to be buying, you know, historical artifacts. But it's, I just find, I find it, the thing I find most offensive about it is these people under, think, assuming they understand why people collect. And I don't, I don't really get why people do a lot. I mean, I don't get why I do it, but mine is sort of an art collection thing. And I like, certain um propaganda artists which is like a like it's a confluence of my interest in certain types of graphic design um you know i i i like you know the old el lazitsky stuff and and things like that um and my interest in 20th century totalitarianism which i'm interested in as jonah says this is like a that um this guy's interested in a sort of never again way i mean i think that all of us who have you know, Mao busts or, you know, bizarre Bolshevik posters from the 1920s. I also have, I asked, by the way, I also have non, I have a huge um, SPD poster, the Social Democratic Party from 1924, uh, which is one of my prized possessions for a, a Berlin election, because that's kind of interesting to me of, of a, in the middle of a lost cause of Weimar Republic and a socialist party who was the most mainstream party. And incidentally, um, were the reason, not their existence, but they were ultimately part of the reason the Nazis came to power because the communists became obsessed, the KPD in Germany became obsessed with destroying social fascism, is what they called the Social Democrats, and took their eye off Nazism um, and were obsessed with destroying the Social Democrats. So I have that poster, which I got in Germany a long time ago, and um, I love um, these weird details of it that I love, but I would never think that I have to explain that. I would never think that I have to, you know, why my taste in these artifacts interests me and the kind of feeling that it gives you in a way of having them around. Um, it doesn't mean I want to be a German social democrat in 1924. 
I assure you of that. I don't want to be a, a German Social Democrat in 2023 either. Um, but but yeah, I, I find, why are we focused on the story? Why do we care about this so much? Why do we talk a half an hour about it? Well, I think there's a pretty obvious reason is that this is wonderfully indicative of how poisoned and how awful the discourse, particularly among people who should know better, um, how, how it is online. You know, New York Times columnists, various historians saying, aha, we got you, you Nazi. And uh, Clarence Thomas is your best buddy. <laughs> one would, I might use a, one would think this, I might use a different <laughs> adjective uh, than you know that uh, that uh, Harlan Crow owns Clarence Thomas. You, you might there's other words in the English yeah, language. Yeah, that's could probably I probably probably go. deliberately that's chosen too. Might might uh, might look at those. Yeah, it's very indicative. It's also indicative of, and these things are very related um, to the built-in limitations, particularly the way that it has been practiced of Twitter over the mm. years. This is this is one of the primary functions of elite discourse Twitter. Um, and it's uh, and you could see it in that Washingtonian uh, article. Um, the third paragraph is a Twitter paragraph mm. of like, you know, just go easy. You should have thought about going easy on the Hitler stuff, you know, um, as, as if this is a role of journalism in trying to explicate something. No, you're trying to score a point, um, a single point, a single data point. You're not actually trying to you're not seeking understanding of a person and how even that person's ideology might be uh, shaped by it and then transmitted into Clarence Thomas. It's all like transitive property stuff. Uh, you know, Clarence Thomas has changed on some issues over the years, and we don't know why, but this guy's got some Hitler statues. Well, well, the the, the like, thing about really it is, bad analysis. you know, so by the way, note that I said about Kevin Cruz, I didn't call him a plagiarist. I said that he's been accused of this because I don't know enough about it. If I were a Kevin Cruz, Twitter Kevin Cruz, I would just call him a plagiarist because he is apparently fine with calling people Nazis he doesn't know or knows very little about, hasn't met, hasn't read anything they've written, just knows about these these statues. But the the question I have is, what is the threshold for being okay? And the financial threshold is what appears to me that one has to meet for destroying somebody's reputation online and not feeling even a, a little uh, twitch or pang of guilt about it. Because the fact that he's a GOP mega donor, not just a donor, he's a mega donor. He also has a mega yacht um, that Clarence Thomas has bought. A lot of megas going on, mega maga. It's a super, super, super yacht. yacht. I'm, sure it's a, I'm sure someone's mega called donor. it a mega yacht too. But if he was an average guy who is within the kind of GOP firmament and was, I, is it the friends with Clarence Thomas thing? I remember a long time ago, I've, I have a clip somewhere. There was a headline uh, in the San Francisco Chronicle, I think. Uh, I remember the story was in San Francisco and there was a car that was surrounded by protesters. This is pre-BLM. I can't remember the protest. It might've been around Mike Brown. And it was like, you know, attacked and someone smashed the windshield. And the headline had the brand of the car. It was like a Porsche or something. It was like oh. Porsche ruined by, or a, a Porsche attacked by, um, I don't, I, I, it might've been um, Occupy Wall Street protesters. It's like, well, why did you, what's the name of the car in there for? I, I swear to God, this is true. I have it somewhere. Like, why would you name the car? Are you saying that because they have a certain amount of money that it's okay for one to do that? If it's, you know, Harlan... Quinn, Harlan Pepper, whatever his name is. Um, I truly don't even know the guy's name. I can't even remember. But Crow. Crow. Um, 
if he, is it because that he's this billionaire? I mean, does that make it okay? Like, it's fine. He's got enough money. We can piss all over him and make sure his kids and his grandkids, I mean, when they Google him yes. in the future, say that he's a Nazi. From the from their point of view, he's been part of the uh, the you know right wing takeover of the courts, which has all been about a power move, and it's not tied to any any kind of uh, intellectual consistency. And they want to move the you know country back a hundred years or one hundred and fifty years. Um, and this is one of the worst things about uh, modern political life. And they're taking us. Uh, towards a more fascistic type of approach. Well, this is this um, is the problem. That's... I mean, people have asked this in the past. What is the problem with this elastic definition of fascism? Is that when you presume that everybody on the other side is a fascist or is harboring, you know, uh, fascist sympathizers or is supporting a fascist government regime, presidential candidate, whatever policies, then when something like this comes down, it makes perfect sense to you. It plugs in because, like, I've been calling them fascists for. 10 years. I mean, obviously they collect fascist things and you just kind of wipe out all the evidence that they just in general collect things from the 20th century or from, you know, the 19th century, 18th century, whatever. But when you've been waiting for this and all of the evidence is kind of this kind of Kremlinology, this kind of picking out these weird little, this syllable here means this. I mean, I said in the last podcast um, that there were there was a fascist instinct. I can see that in a Donald Trump thing of making it about the leader. You know, I am taking all of your hits for you. Uh, I am the people. people. That sort of you know, like I am, you know, the folk. <laughs> that's a bad red. I don't think he knows that. I don't think he's smart enough for that. But that's kind of redolent of right. So yeah, I mean, I'm not. Uh, I'm not averse to ever talking about this stuff. But the idea that when you call everyone a fascist, you start seeing, it's kind of like racism too, is that, you know, the, the, the standards for what qualifies as racism have been, you know, expanded to a point of almost like, you know, uselessness at this point. Every, I mean, you hear that phrase, you used to prick up your ears and say, oh my God, what did they say? Now I'm like, what rap song were they singing in their car on Snapchat when they were 17. I mean, that's, you stop paying attention and because people are always trying to find it. And so now you have like, oh, rich guy has weird habits. Like, yeah, I just told you about the very, very rich, very, very well-known Jewish guy who is um, amazingly, um, amazingly instrumental in supporting big Jewish causes who, you know, um, collects panzers. I mean, I don't, I don't kind of, understand. Kind of I don't awesome. get it. But if he wants to give me a ride in one, I'd be like, yeah, that sounds cool. That sounds fun. Oh my God. <laughs> going yes. down the streets of Long Island in a Panzer. Anyway, we should get going because I have to go um, see if my daughter's t- taken up smoking or something. It's Easter Sunday after all. Yes. Um, yes. But so let's get our Easter's on. Uh, thank you and sorry. Uh, but we just had to. It was, yeah. The, the stupid was burning a hole in well, our Well, we've been, we were taking, a, we were taking the, the week off on the, the, the paid one and we ended up not doing that. So, but we're just going to make it for everyone just because we're being nice because he has risen. <laughs> he has risen, which means this congregation is not paying for itself. Easter is an important yes. day for the collection. Yes. Send, send the plate around. Send, yes. <laughs> we, 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 we will, you give us and, and the indulgences are here. You pay your indulgences <laughs> and we were, and you should be tithing your salary to the fifth column, by the way. Mm-hmm. That's a good so idea. tithe, tithe, tithe. All right. Bye. We, 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 we know of new methods of attack.
columnists, I need counsel uh, about a sensitive and specialized issue on which, weirdly, you seem uniquely suited to advise. And it's true. Weirdly, we do. I am a vintage seller. Uh, S-E-L-L-E-R. And while I was sourcing merchandise at a warehouse-sized uh, last chance before the landfill shop of treasure, sometimes, and junk, mostly, all for sale by the pound, I came across a big old shadow box. It had some military ribbons and medals pinned in place, and others I could hear rattling around the bottom below the part visible through the glass pane. I bought it, and when I started to pry the thing open at home, some of those items that had been rattling around the bottom fell out. There were medals, ribbons, and other sundries, including an old butter knife with a fancy swastika stamped into the handle. How did she get my butter knife? (laughs) (laughs) I would. I thought it'd be more of a crude. I don't have a. I don't have a steak knife. It's just a butter knife. It's one Nazi butter knife. Closer inspection (laughs) of the medals and ribbons showed that they were not all American, as I had assumed. There were also German ones and a Mm -hmm. Prussian one. Mm -hmm. They spanned several wars. Some of the highlights from what I was able to identify, the butter knife that is a match for, I'm really not kidding, ones from the cafeteria of a Zyklon B factory. Oh. German war merit medal, a World War II (laughs) civilian recognition. Remember, I'll wash that one if it's from that factory. Usually awarded to those workers in factories who significantly exceeded work quotas. Yeah. Uh, shoulder boards and collar tabs from a Third Reich Railroad engineer's uniform. Uh, and she goes up uh, other stuff. And then I don't want them, she says. Uh, hanging up Soviet propaganda posters like Moynihan said he's done is one thing. I have some things in that vein myself. This is a whole other thing. I've been storing them in a cardboard box, which is unfortunately identical to many other such boxes. So every few weeks when I go to look for something, I accidentally rediscover this stuff all over again. Um, I don't subscribe to the destroy historical items associated with bad people idea. I rent, so I can't really bury it outside. I'm convinced <laughs> that if I drop it in the dumpster, I'll find it in the kitchen pantry the next morning, like some Nazi Chucky Burying doll or Nazi something. Nazi treasures. It's like a really boring version of Indiana Jones. So <laughs> what do I do with a Nazi butter knife? I sent it to me. Um, <laughs> clearly, this is, I mean, you're fishing for an answer. It's like chat, yeah. chat box, whatever. Um, a couple of things about this. It's actually quite funny because. And it does look like the person who sent that notice is in the, is on the, is on the, on the call. Okay. Right now. Okay. She's cool. going to, she's going to come out with her, her knife in a second. Um, <laughs> show us the knife. Show us the knife. A couple oh, things about the, this. She's got the knife. Where, where, the where, knife? Is where is she? Where is she? Where is she? Oh, oh my God. Hold on, let's look oh, the gallery. Is that bring really Celia J? Is that, can we unmute She's her? holding Hello. a Nazi butter knife. Hi. Hey. It's Hi, me. Is that really you with the Nazi butter knife? That's yes. really me. Let us oh see my your God. Nazi who's, who's next to you, by the way? That's my husband. Is Does he, he pay? also a Nazi? Because it should only be one of you on there. No, <laughs> not a Nazi. <laughs> okay. But okay. when Good. I found this, the yes. fun story is when I found this, I wanted to show my husband. Yeah. And so I told him to close his eyes and put out his hands. And oh, he's no. used to me finding weird things. And so he closed his eyes, he put out his hands, and he said, just don't hand me a Nazi dagger or some shit like that. <laughs> what are you, fucking Nazi Kreskin? You actually, you, you knew what was happening? Good well, Lord. Anyway, he's been saying I should write to you. So Yes, correct. he's correct. Yes. Yeah, he's about correct. Nazi stuff, always. Yeah. yeah, well, I have a couple of answers <laughs> to this. Um, well, first of all, the, the instinct to... Um, you know, yeah. want to throw that stuff out. I, I understand, but it is kind of odd. And it, I, I go back to <laughs> the comment that I've, I've, you know, mentioned a whole bunch from 
Robert Conquest, the great Sovietologist, when asked, um, you know, if he thought the Holocaust was worse than what Stalin had done, and he was the he was a biographer of Stalin and a Sovietologist, he said yes. And the interviewer said, you know, this is we're talking twenty, thirty million versus the six million in the Holocaust, plus you know whatever other war debt, et cetera. And so they said, why? And he said, I just feel it so, which I think is the right answer. I just feel it so. It's not just a kind of body count thing. It's just this kind of feeling that one has. So yeah, I mean, I have Soviet posters. I mean, right over my shoulder there, there's that one right there is a hand-painted one that a friend of mine brought back from North Korea because um, there's no printing presses there. So it's like the line drawings and it's very, it's very sort of meticulously hand-painted. Um, there's another one right there that's an East German one. But all bad places, all bad regimes. But yeah, you wouldn't hang the Nazi thing. I do have experience with these people, though. And about 20 plus years ago, I was doing a research project and it required a like a deep dive into the main Nazi newspaper, the, the sort of national newspaper called the Volkische Beobachter, which you couldn't get online at the time. So I found somebody online that was selling them. And I said, God, that's odd. And they happened to be in Massachusetts. And they had big bound ones from the, a library in Munich. And he said, you can take them if you want to use them for research purposes. And I said, I would love that. So I drove over and I went into this guy's house and good Lord, <laughs> it was like totally normal guy. He had, you know, some Japanese stuff here or there, but he was a military collector. And he said, let me take you into the inner sanctum. And so oh, he takes me up God. into this. Uh, yeah, this is what you do. I mean, he's going to either give me a hand job or show me some Hitler stuff. It <laughs> was unfortunately not the former. It was the latter. And there was a dummy. I'm not, not joking. There was a dummy with a full uniform on. And he was like, this is Hitler's uniform from, you know, whenever that I had found. And he goes to Germany all the time to, to buy this stuff. And... At that point, I was like, maybe I should do something about the, and I think it was the New York Times Magazine. You can go back and look. If you have a Times subscription, they have this thing called Times Machine where you can find all these old, old articles. There was a Sunday Times Magazine article about people who collect this stuff. And one of the main collectors was Jewish, actually. And it was the people were not ideologically motivated at all. They were just really interested in World War II and this area of history. And there's something about the forbidden that I think they liked of it too. But there was always a lot of silverware sort of plates and silverware, because a lot of it was taken by American soldiers, particularly the stuff at Berchtesgaden, where, you know, Hitler's uh, um, mountain retreat on Obersalzburg and the kind of Austrian-German border. American troops got there first and up on the, in the eagle's nest there, and they looted the whole place, including all of the, um, you know, plates and, and, you know, knives and forks and the rest of it. And they've all been on the market in America, including paintings too. So, a lot of Hitler's watercolors you can find because they were taken by American soldiers. So that's where a lot of this stuff comes from is American soldiers taking war booty back and it's all over the place. And I know, I know people who got stuff from their grandparents that, you know, uh, flags and, you know, armbands and, and things like that. But um, yeah, it's a weird one. If, if you look online, eBay many years ago uh, stopped um, allowing it. Yeah. So you can't sell it on eBay. Uh, despite the fact that you still find stuff on eBay, you know, coins and things like that, but they, they prevent it if it's labeled appropriately. So I think people get around it, but all over the internet, particularly, and I see this stuff all the time because I buy a lot of East German and Soviet posters. You always come across people that have this stuff and there is an enormous, enormous market for it. Uh, and I would say most of the people aren't ideologically motivated because the people can afford this stuff. 
uh, tend not to be Nazis. <laughs> Nazis tend to not have the spare cash to buy, you know, plates and such. Um, but I would say there's a lot of places online where like normal people who are not, I mean, normal people, all things being relative here, people who collect militaria always look and see if they collect a lot of stuff. So if it's like, you know, Japanese stuff, Soviet stuff, if they're just doing Nazi stuff, that's a little curious, but, but I'm sure somebody would buy that in a second, but it's a very weird find a knife. But so it's from an IG Farben factory is what you're saying. So if a Zyklon B was, was produced by IG Farben, but they produce a lot of things. Um, Zyklon B being the most sinister of them and still, I think existed after the war too. But how did you locate that it was from a factory? It's just so, the actual, in, the actual kind of inscription on it or? Yeah. It's what's stamped into it. It's like a tradesman mark or something like that. But then I did a bunch of searching around. I started with a basic Google image search. And then I found a yeah. World War II site that's identifying a set of silverware that's identical as coming from the factory. So yeah, you should write like, them and say, "Are you missing a knife?" <laughs> because <laughs> because I found it. I Wait, actually, was it. Were they really expensive? I wonder. But this oh, I honestly don't even remember. To be honest, I felt really weird about selling them, so I wrote to some museums to see if they'd want them, and nobody wrote back. So uh, the Holocaust Museum usually takes that stuff in DC. I, I know some of the people there I actually did a long time ago for a reason. I did a, a thing where I, with the, the historian at the Holocaust Museum and I know they take, they take a lot of printed material. Um, so if you have like newspapers and books and things, but I don't know about stuff like that. I don't think they want to display, uh, things like that, but that, that association is particularly strange. It's weird. Yeah. I have Very some weird. Hitler stamps, a Hitler stamp and, you know, a swastika stamp that were also in there. So maybe they want those. Yeah. <laughs> those are actually weirdly common. Um, uh, you see those uh, uh, all over the place when you see. Let's get stamps. those. Uh, where do you live, uh, Celia? You, I mean, not precisely, but like generally. <laughs> give us your address. I, yeah. I your live address. right outside Richmond, Virginia. <laughs> okay. okay. Just okay. Go, go give it to Camille then. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just swing by. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. The black no, Nazi. Uh, it's <laughs> like, like giving it to Kanye. It's fine. You got enough room in, in East Egg, at, at least in your garage, right? With a little dumb sports cars that are never going to work. Um, you should put a, uh, some a little Nazi corner. I don't want to have a Nazi corner, but I would say this: Why don't you auction it off and sell it to somebody and give the proceeds to our friends at the Ask a Jew podcast as a oh. form of reparations? Uh, this is, uh, I mean, it'd be a good form of reparations, right? Or just any Jews that you know, just give it to them. Yeah. <laughs> just give them the money. Or if you're Jewish yourself, keep the money. So, <laughs> so, Are you saying I mean, greedy or something? Look, I'm just spitballing yeah. here. I'm, yeah, trying to okay. get, I'm trying to assuage your conscience while making you a little cash at the same time. Are you an, an antique stealer? Is that what you do? No, I sell vintage items, mostly clothing. And I actually, I use eBay sometimes. So I'm a little wary about selling a Nazi knife along with like, Nice skirts and dresses from the 70s. Yeah, I, <laughs> I would say, here's a Mary Mecco dress from the 70s and a Nazi knife from the IG Farben factory. Yeah. Maybe not going to be good for your business. But, but, uh, but I'll send you an email and, and, um, and buy it from you anyway. But I'll then sell it on for the, for the um, purposes of uh, benefiting the Jewish people. And the, if yeah, you want this, it, you can have it. I will okay, mail right. it to you. Yeah. I just want and, it out of my house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the tone with which you said that was one of exasperation. I just want it out of my house. Resignation, <laughs> exasperation. It's bringing evil to your house. He's been reminding um, me for months to write to you about this. Yeah. Yes. We'll take I it don't know if I should take that as a compliment or like, you know, <laughs> write those guys. They know what to do with Nazi knives. <laughs> thank you. Uh, well, thank silly. you very much. Appreciate it. <laughs> 
That's fantastic. I told you guys, meaning Moynihan and Camille, that we had some fucking great emails. He's pounding down, loading up and trucking. Are we going to do what they say can't be done? We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. I'm he's pounding just like no bandit run. Keep your foot hard on the pedal. Short time to get there. 